I want to say a massive welcome to you all here in the room. And also to those of you who are watching on YouTube or listening on podcasts as well, we are so glad that you could join us, whether you're part of this church or not, or maybe whether you're online and checking out what is Life Central Church all about. Well, we hope that this gives you a little bit of a window into that. I, I want to begin, uh, kind of talk today by telling you a story. And this is an old story. Um, and it's set in a, in a village uh, in the Alps. And uh, we're aware, aren't we, uh, if you watch the news, how much the Alps is, you know, getting snow at the moment all over Europe. And, uh, and, but this is a little village uh, in the Alps. And there's a stream in the centre of the village. And the stream is the centrepiece of the village. It brings water. It brings life. It's full of trout. Uh, the swans come. And it's great. But, but what the people in the village weren't aware of is that it's so healthy and so life-giving because there's a little old guy who's paid by the, the local authority uh, to keep hold of the springs, to keep managing the springs which are up in the mountains. And what he does is he clears out the silt and the mud and makes sure all those springs are life-giving so that when the water joins the stream that comes into the town, it's all good. But then after a period of time, some of the, some of the local uh, politicians, and this would never happen in our culture, some of the local politicians said, how can we save some money? And so they went on, a, on an austerity kind of uh, deal and, and they actually terminated that guy's contract and said, we don't, we don't really see him, we don't really know him, we don't know how long he's been there, you know, we don't need him. And nobody noticed at first. But then because the little old guy wasn't looking after the springs, mult, uh, mud and silt started getting into the water. And then the colour started changing of the water. Uh, and, and, then, and then the trout stopped swimming so much and the swans stopped coming and and then eventually, some people who were drinking the water began to get ill. And so, so the local authority got together again, and, the, and they found the money, and they rehired the little old guy. And he went up into the springs and did his thing. And soon the water became life-giving again. And the trout came back, and the swans came back, and people drank. You see, the life of a village depended on the health of the stream. And the stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. The life and the health of your life is rooted in your soul and you are the keeper of that stream. And um, we are going to be saying this a lot over the next few weeks. You are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body and your soul will live on forever somewhere. And we're going to look over the next five weeks, and it won't just be me speaking, it'll be different people or across the locations. We're going to be speaking about the soul. And we're going to be drawing on a couple of books, and um, these are incredible books. I want to encourage you to get them. I know not everyone's a reader, but maybe get them on audio book. This is by John Ortberg. It's called Soul Keeping. I'm going to be reading quite a little bit out of that today and drawing some material from that. And then this one is from a guy called Craig Rochelle called Soul Detox. Okay, this deals with the kind of toxins and the unhealthy stuff that attaches to our soul. Again, we're going to be drawing on some material from that book. But the other great collection of books we're going to be looking at is the Bible. And we're going to go there for a moment. So if you want to turn, well, we don't turn because it's just one verse. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says these incredibly well-known to many of us words. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own, say it out loud, soul? Is anything worth more than your now, when you read that, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I was brought up in church, and so I always used to look at that verse and think, what that means is 
You can have everything, but if you're not a Christian, you, where are you going to go when you die? I thought that's what this verse was about. You're going to lose your soul. But this isn't about that. This isn't about a destination. This is about a diagnosis. You see, what Jesus believes and what I believe as well and the Bible teaches is that you can have everything and you can still lose your soul. You can be a Christian. You can follow God. But if you lose your soul, if you lose the health of your soul, you've lost everything. Because the health of your life depends on the health of your soul and you are the keeper. That's what Jesus is saying. And when you neglect your soul, it doesn't go away, it goes awry. In other words, it goes wrong. And I want to read a couple of pages out of this book, okay? And it's quite a lot. I don't normally read out of a book like this, but I want to read it because it just says it. I can't say it any better, so I'm just going to read it to you out of this book by John Ortberg. And he said this, Our world has replaced the word soul with the word self, and they're not the same thing. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. The word psychologist comes from the Greek word psych, which actually means soul. That ought to be what psychology is about, apart from what anyone thinks about religion. Sigmund Freud wrote, Treatment of the psyche means treatment of the soul. One could also understand it to mean treatment of sickness when it occurs in the life of the soul. And then Ortberg goes on to say, But psychology is focused on the self, and self carries a totally different connotation than soul. To focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care and connection of God. To focus on myself apart from God means losing awareness of what matters most. Then he goes on to say this, The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study that indicates that in the 20th century, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than folks in the generation before them. Despite the rise of mental health professions, people are becoming increasingly vulnerable to depression. Why? Martin Seligman, a brilliant psychologist with no religious axe to grind, has a theory. Listen, this is, this is not a Christian. His theory is we've replaced church, faith and community with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning called self. We're all about the self. We revolve our lives around ourself. Ironically, the more we're obsessed with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. All of our language reflects this. If you're empty, you need to fulfill yourself. If you're stressed, learn how to take care of yourself. If you're on a job interview, you have to believe in yourself. Come on, come with me. If you're at the tattoo parlor, you must learn to express yourself. If someone dares to criticize you, you have to love. Come on, you're getting there. If you're not getting your own way, you have to stand up for yourself. What should you do on a date? You ought to be yourself. I'll jump in there before anyone says anything inappropriate. <laughs> but he says this, what if yourself is a train wreck? What do you do then? You see, self is a standalone do-it-yourself unit while the soul reminds us we were not made for ourselves. The soul always exists before God. So soul is needed for deep art, poetry and music. Former opera singer Scott Flaherty said it best, said this, I mean, when you sing, you're giving voice to your soul. Imagine singing, then sings myself, my saviour God to thee. Or Jesus, lover of myself. Innately we know that the self is not the soul, even as we do everything we can to preserve it.
we want to encourage you to get the book. It's amazing. But that, there's nothing wrong with psychology and any of that. But when we just focus on self, apart from our connection to God, we're not looking after our soul. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit with you this morning. To see how God meant life to be lived, let's go back right to the beginning of the Bible and look at a verse in Genesis chapter 2. And it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man became a living soul. Each week, we're going to look at our soul. And we're going to look at an enemy of our soul. And we're going to go on a little bit of a detox. And the enemy we're going to look at this week is a real friend of mine. And I wish it wasn't a friend of mine, but it is. We're going to look at something called hurry sickness. And this has been designated now, designated now as an actual condition that many of us, certainly in the Western world, suffer from. Hurry sickness. If you want to know if you have the sickness, let me help you with a bit of a diagnostic uh, this morning. Uh, here's some questions. See if you resonate with any of these. Are you in a constant state of worry, panic and stress? Maybe you're suffering from hurry sickness. Do you feel like everything is urgent? Are you always available? You've got to take every call. You've got to answer every text. You've got to respond to every little notification on your phone. If it pings, you have to handle it right there, right there. Some of you are already twitching, already looking at your phone, just making sure you haven't had anything. Do you hate wasting time, even when you should be? You know, do you hate queuing? And you, yes, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, are, are you some of those people that, that you stand at Tesco and you, and, you, and you watch the line of the person next to you and you count how many items are in their basket and you work out a mathematical equation of whether you're going to move line or not? Is that you? And then when you do move line and then that person, that checkout girl goes off for a break and that's the end of the world, isn't it? It's the end of the world. Is that you? Maybe you have hurry sickness. Do you walk super fast? Do you talk super fast? Do you drive super fast? Are you one of these guys or girls that when you're on the motorway and, and there's, a, there's a sign that says you're going to merge left into one lane coming up. Are you, you know, obedient and dutiful and a good citizen and a good Christian and you move straight across? Or do you say, I'm going to do it? And you go right up the outside until the very last minute. Andy Hancock does that. I see that hand. Yes, absolutely. You see, these could be indications that you suffer from hurry sickness. Let's call it all the speed of life. You know, and I know that some of you uh, this morning here in the room and maybe watching or listening, maybe you're not from the, the Western world and Europe and, and America. And maybe you're from a, a different part of the world and, and you're saying, I don't know what these guys are talking about because it's not like this everywhere around the planet. It seems to be something that's quite unique to our culture. And I want to call it the speed of life. And we're caught up with the speed of life right now, aren't we? And we complain about it, but we keep doing it. We, we, we run after it, but we can't quite attain it. You know, we, we, we justify it because everyone's living this way. We can't shut it down. Even at night, we can't shut it down. Our soul seems to find no rest. Thousands of years ago, one of the, the wisest men who's ever lived called Solomon, Son of David, famous King David. He, he wrote a whole load of things. And one of the books he wrote in the Bible is almost like a journal, almost like a diary called the book of Ecclesiastes. And he writes it and puts it this way. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. It's pretty depressing, <laughs> 
But, but, but it's an indication of this hurry sickness where the soul can't find any rest, where we're always on the go. Our mind, our soul, our spirit, everything inside of us always seems to be churning over. There's an ancient proverb and it's a little bit quaint, but I think it's got some truth in it. And it said this, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. And that's why they call it the present. It's a little bit quaint, but it's so true. There's a moment in the present that we're meant to engage with. And have you ever noticed, just a few weeks ago, if you were sat around the, you know, in the lounge with your family and maybe for the kids or grandkids there, have you ever noticed how kids open presents? Like they fully engage with the present, don't they? And they open the present. But as they get a little older, they don't have to be very old, they start opening their present and looking at everybody else's. Anyone notice that? And just a little bit of envy and comparison can creep in. The problem is that escalates as you get older. Where we can't enjoy the gift or the present that we have because we're looking for something else or, or imagining something else or, or, or dreaming or longing for something else. We live at such a crazy speed of life. We miss out on the present and when we do, our soul begins to suffer and our soul begins to get sick. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher and he wrote it and this is so profound. He said this, the press of busyness is like a charm. Its power swells. It reaches out seeking always to lay hold of ever younger victims. Listen, so that childhood or youth are scarcely allowed the quiet and the retirement in which the eternal may unfold. I want to just leave that there for a moment. It's such a profound quote. And I want to just say to some of you who are parents or grandparents, okay? And I'm a parent, not yet a grandparent. My kids are grown up now. But, but I remember when our kids were little, and I'm not saying this in any way to be judgmental. I want to say to you guys who've got younger kids or teenage kids, your kids do not have to go to everything. There's so many sporting clubs. There are so many hobbies. There are stake and rock climb and surf and, and mountain bike and do this and do that. They can get extra maths and extra science and all of that's great. Sport and hobby and academic stuff is all great. But if you cram their lives or allow them to cram their lives so much, what about the eternal? Where is the space for the eternal to unfold when they are from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next? This is hurry sickness. It affects your kids and it affects us. And I want to say, what is the faith of the next generation worth to us? Because maybe we say, hey, do you know what? You need to put, it's great all those clothes, but you need to make sure you're connecting in Christian community. Like on a Wednesday night in cruise and on a Sunday. Because that's so important. Because that isn't just an activity. That's about your soul. That's about your soul. That's about your relationship with God and your relationship with other people who are also on a journey to find and to explore who God is. So all these things are great. But what about your soul? So how do we fix hurry sickness? Let me go to John Ortberg um, in the book. He says this. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. This doesn't mean that we will never be busy. Jesus often had a lot to do, but he never did it in a way that severed the life-giving connection between him and his father. He never did it in a way that interfered with his ability to give love when love was called for. He never did it in a way that caused him to treat someone as an interruption. Listen to this. Jesus was often busy, but never hurried. And I read this again, I've read this many years ago and totally ignored it, if I'm honest, okay? Because I suffer from this probably more than most of you. 
But I read this again in my preparation and I felt God speak to me and say, Leon, you are always busy and often horrid. And I said, Jesus, 2019, I don't mind being busy. I love being busy, but I don't want to be hurried. Because busy and hurried are totally different things. Let, let, let me just uh, show you, if I can turn my iPod. Yeah, let me just show you some of the differences between busy and hurried, okay? Because some of you are already starting to check out. You're switching off because you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't get this because like, you're a pastor. You only work one day a week anyway on a Sunday. You don't know what my life's like. You don't know how crazy complex my family situation is and how demanding my work is. I get all that, okay? And, and while you do that, watch your soul, okay? Watch your soul. Here's the difference, some of the differences between being busy and being horrid. Busy is a full schedule. Horrid is a preoccupied life. Busy is many activities. Horrid is unable to be fully present in any of them. Busy is an outward condition. Horrid is an inward condition of the soul. Busy is physically demanding. Horrid is spiritually draining. Busy reminds me I need God. Horrid causes me to become unavailable to God. I'm not asking you not to be busy, okay? This is not about being lazy. This is not about just not doing anything. Be busy in the right things. But we can be busy without being hurried. And that's about the soul. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three takeaways. Because most of you aren't having any takeaways in January anyway because of the new diet or whatever. But here's three takeaways for you, different kind of takeaways. And these are practical. You see, information will never change anything. Only application brings transformation. So please, you can have heard all that I've said and have agreed with it. Nothing will change unless you do something about it. So I want to give you three practical takeaways. Number one, pull over. You drive along the motorway and you see the sign along the side that says tiredness kills, tiredness kills. It encourages you to pull over, doesn't it? Pull over. Don't just slow down or change gears. It's not enough. You need to pull over. And pulling over means stopping. Finding moments in your life, in your day, in your week, in your rhythm where you can pull over and stop and engage with your soul. For me as a Christian, that means I want to engage with God. I passionately believe in you in this room or, or if you're watching or listening, you might not believe in God. This is what I believe, okay, what we believe. But maybe you need to find your own way. But, but pulling over and stopping for me is about connecting with the one who made my soul, with the one who creates my soul. Pulling over is an acknowledgement that I can only find real rest in one place alone, and that's God. David, the father of Solomon, the guy I read uh, from earlier on, he wrote um, amazing uh, psalms. And one of the ones he wrote was Psalm 62. And this is from the Passion Translation. Listen to this. I stand silently to listen for the one I love. In other words, I've pulled over. Do you know what I mean? Like I've got off the road. I've pulled over. I'm listening for the one I love. Waiting as long as it takes for the Lord to rescue me. For God alone has become my saviour. He alone is my safe place. His wraparound presence always protects me. For he is my champion defender. There's no risk of failure with God. So why would I let worry paralyse me even when troubles multiply around me? Can you see that? He's saying, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to connect with God because that's where I'm going to find rest for my restless soul. You know, I, 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 my wife, she was at the first service and she nodded when I said this and she will testify that for years 
uh, one of my weaknesses has been that I've succumbed to the lie uh, that says, hey, I'll just run as hard as I can uh, and whatever, because do you know what? In the summer, I'll get a holiday. Anyone ever given into that? I'll, I'll tell you, a two-week beach holiday will not cut it. A holiday, a chill day, a spa day, and that's great. That's all part of the rhythm. That will not cut it. If we run so hard, our soul will not be healthy by just depending on a two-week holiday once a year. We have to pull over. St. Augustine was a, a theologian and philosopher in the fourth century, and he wrote something very famous. It said, he said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Guys, we will only find real soul rest and in our connection with God. We've got to pull over. But then there's another step. Step two, when you pull over, you've got to pop the bonnet. You see, you can pull over, but you've got to pop the bonnet because you've got to see what is going on in the engine of your life. What is driving you to run so hard in such a way that it's damaging your soul? David, who wrote the psalm I just, just read, he also wrote in another place, Search me, O God, and know my heart. In other words, pop the bonnet, look into my soul, look into my life, what's going on? The first step to defeating an, an enemy is to recognise your opponent. And in one sense, the enemy is hurry, but in another sense, maybe the enemy isn't hurry, but what's driving the hurry? So maybe that time to ask a question, say, hey God, why am I running so hard? Why do I feel like I can't stay? No. Why do I feel like I, I can't see? And either I think, where is my phone? <gasps> I've left my phone in my jacket. <gasps> Some of you young people are like, oh no, how can you do that? How can you live? Why is that so important? Those are some of the questions, not just young people, but all of us. Many of you are checking for your phone right now in case you've left it. I mean, that's popping the bonnet. Why can't I say no? Why is people's approval so important to me? How many likes on Facebook and Instagram? Why is that such a big deal? That's popping the bonnet and asking God to shine his light to what's really going on. What really is driving me? And can I encourage you? When you pop the bonnet of your soul, okay, it's good to invite someone else to have a look as well. Maybe a friend or, or maybe a counsellor and especially God. And say, God, would you shine your light on what is going on? So, so we pull over and then we pop bonnet. But then the third thing, this is so important, you've got to change lanes. It's no good just pulling over, popping the bonnet and then getting back out on the motorway again and driving exactly the same. You've got to change lanes. You've got to go in a different direction. Einstein famously said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And yet you and I do our life the same way over and over again and expect different results and that's insane. Today, many of you in this room, many of you watching or listening, you will recognise what I'm saying. You will agree with what I'm saying. You will totally sign up for it. And then when Andy comes up at the end to say, that's it, we're over, some of you will rush past each other to get a coffee. Some of you will kill three people in the car park just to get out first. And you've agreed with all of this. And yet that's what we do. We've got to change lanes and go in a different direction. We've got to do some things differently if we're to confront this sickness and for the sake of our soul, which matters the most. You see, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body and your soul will live, will live on forever somewhere. 
So I want to tell you in just a couple of minutes I've got left, some, a few of the things that I'm trying to work on. And I'm saying this because, because I, I really suffer from this, okay, very, very badly. And so I'm not, you know, I know I'm higher here on this and speaking to you guys. But please, this is not someone who's got it all together telling you how to do it. This is someone who says, hey, this is, this is me. And some of you are much better at this than I am. But some of the things that I'm trying to build into my life to try and combat this horrid sickness disease... I've already mentioned it, but this five minutes of silence, I'm really enjoying at the moment. And basically, I, I was doing it once a week. Now I'm doing it every other day, trying to do it every day, not always succeeding. But in my devotion time, which is always very early in the morning, in my favorite chair in our living room, uh, I will read the Bible a bit and uh, listen to some music and journal. And then I'm trying now, the whole thing last 20 minutes or so, 20, 30 minutes tops. What I'm trying to do is, as part of that, have five minutes of silence, no music, not reading, set my alarm on my iPad and just sit in the chair and just be still and just quiet my restless soul. A friend of mine uh, introduced me to it, encouraged me to do it and I'm doing it. Uh, and it's been brilliant. And when I did it first, five minutes of doing nothing and listening to nothing was an eternity. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Now when the alarm goes, I go, oh, Really? And I find myself like, and if, if I'm, and, and I think, okay, what am I going to fill my mind with? Because I'm not a Buddhist, okay, so I don't believe in that uh, mindlessness and all that stuff. Uh, or even mindfulness, I don't believe in, in all of that stuff. So, so I'm going to fill my mind with Jesus, and I'm going to think about Jesus. And then occasionally when I'm thinking about Jesus, then I'm thinking, oh, that would make an interesting talk. And then I have to pull that back. Or, or I'm thinking about Jesus, and I wonder if so-and-so has done that, that no, and I have to pull that back. But what I'm finding is that that bit of quiet and stillness is re-energizing for my soul. One of the other things that really helps me is journaling. Because when I journal, I've got a journal on my iPad. I sometimes use uh, paper with a pen. Woo! But I use my iPad a lot as well. I've got a moment to settle that in. Um, and what I find with journaling is so good for the soul is that journaling for me is a way of expressing and writing out and getting out what's going on on the inside. But the other thing that I use journaling for, which is so important, is, is, is because if I, if I only just pour out my stuff, it can get a little bit negative, okay? But what I do in the journal is I always want to say, God, today what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? And I write them down. That's so good for your soul. So good for your soul. Some of the other things, fasting from social media. Maybe saying, hey, I'm going to go without social media for a day or for a week or for a month. Or for a year. Woo! Whatever. Just fasting because I can live without that because my identity is not in that. And actually, I don't want to be addicted to anything. And I'm addicted to social media, as many of us are, if we're really, really honest. One of the other things we're doing as staff is that we recognize this amongst ourselves and we're saying, hey, why don't we stop for lunch sometime and all meet together and have lunch? They say in, in, in the business now that the most popular lunch is lunch al desco. That's what they call it, not al fresco outside, but al desco. In other words, lunch on the desk as I keep working. But why not stop for 20, 30 minutes and connect with some people and just let your soul still for a moment and have some connection. Here's another thing that I'm trying to do. Let people go ahead of me in the queues. Not very excited about that one, are we? Andy Hancock nearly fell over uh, at the first service when I said that. In fact, just say to someone, hey, you only got a couple of items in your shopping bag. Why don't you go ahead of me? Now, that is going to be a killer for many of us. But maybe it's a way of helping to combat our horror sickness. So, hey, it's not going to matter. Another three minutes, another five minutes. I'm not going to die by giving this person five minutes ahead of me.
Stop and look at people when I walk past them. This is one of my failings. And I'm trying to do that more often, to stop and look at people. And when I'm interacting with people, I want to try and be in the moment a little bit more than I usually or often am. And I was in the, the gym this week and um, I was on a, a cross trainer and there was a fellow on a cross trainer next to me and there was a woman on the treadmill next to me. And I know the, the fellow a little bit and uh, he knows me. He's been here. I've invited him many a couple of times. And the woman I'd never spoken to before, but I, I was listening to a podcast. So it was like me and God time. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just switch it off for a moment and be present with these people. And so I just did that and started chatting to this guy. And he said to me, he said, you're, um, you're a, he was on the cross train, he says, you're a man of the, uh, a man of the, um, he didn't quite know what to say. You're a man of the cloth church? One of those. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, he says. And then he said this to me, he says, are we nearer Armageddon? Seriously, on the cross trainer. And I'm like, good question. Do you know what I mean? And I said to him, well, we're nearer today than we were yesterday. But that's about all the wisdom I've got. And we had a, an amazing conversation about the state of the world and about what I believed about the coming of Jesus and about hope and all that kind of stuff. And then it came on to politics and Donald Trump's name was mentioned. At that point, the lady started talking to me and we had a fascinating conversation about her life and her son who lives in America and Trump and all of that kind of And it was so good. And I left the gym feeling my soul enriched. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd been a little bit more present and, and engaged in that moment. And I just want to encourage you. What can you do to be still and to engage your soul with God and maybe with other people? Because in sometimes through other people, actually God can breathe life into your soul. You are not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. And that soul will live on forever somewhere. I want to invite the band if they could come back. And I want to, I want to read a couple of verses from the Bible to you. And, and you're going to see these verses a couple of times. In fact, we're going to talk about this again in two weeks' time from a different translation. And it may be that there will be a, a few times over these next five weeks when we'll use these verses. Because this is an invitation from Jesus. This is an invitation. And if you've known Jesus a long time, this is for you. If you've just begun to get to know Jesus, this is for you. If you don't know Him, and you've never given your life to Him, and you don't even know whether He exists, you're not even sure whether He exists or not, this is for you. You might not believe in Him, but He believes in you. And this is what He says. You have to go back. No, sorry. He says, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Pull over. Stop. Pop the bonnet. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. What good would it be if you would gain the whole world and forget your soul, lose your soul, lose your life? That life that I breathed into mankind when I breathed into the dust of Adam. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Let's change lanes. Let's live this life. Let's be busy, but let's not be hurried. Let, let, let's be busy. Jesus was so busy sometimes, but he was never, ever hurried. And so he, he says to you, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. 
I want to give rest for your restless soul. Why don't we pray? I want to encourage you just to close your eyes for a moment and just for a moment, just forget about everybody else around you. Jesus is speaking to you today, guys, at the start of 2019, January the 13th. You've been running hard. You've been driving hard. You can't find any stillness for your soul. Jesus says to you now, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. In a moment, we're going to worship. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remind ourselves what Jesus has done to take our anxiety, to take our disconnection, to take our sickness, to take our stuff onto Him and to in exchange to give us His grace and His peace and His beauty and His rest. But just before we do that, I want to just invite some of you. And I just sense as I was praying this morning, that there are people here and you are struggling to sleep at night. You're struggling for your mind to switch off. You're trying everything and you're just struggling to get sleep. Listen, every eye is closed. Nobody's watching. It's time to pop the bonnet. If that's you, I want to ask you just to raise your hand because I want to just pray for you. Because I want you to respond to him. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and honest. Jesus, I want to pray for all these folks who are reaching out to you right now. God, I want to pray specifically that you would bring them rest at night. I pray you'd bring them sleep and rest and assurance and may they sleep well, knowing God, they can hand over whatever is keeping them awake because you're going to be awake all night anyway. So Lord, they do not have to carry it through the night. That's your job. So Jesus, I pray that they would know rest and sleep in Jesus' name. Amen.